Mick Clahassey is an Irish Olympic marathon runner, coach and legend of the Irish athletics community. His titles include a Vienna Half Marathon and National Cross Country Championship and most recently the Belfast City Marathon. And yet, this is a man who only really came to running in his late teens and spent a period away from the sport when he just felt like he'd had enough of it. Today, at 36 years old, after a period of injury, he is getting back to his best with an appearance at Sonia Sullivan's 10-mile road race on April 3rd, locked into the diary. If you'd like to join him, Sonia, myself, and hundreds of Irishmen running abroad listeners, there is still time to register, depending on when you listen to this, at myrunresults.com. Just search for the event. It is, of course, a fundraiser for Breakthrough Cancer Research and the further development of Ballymore Cove Athletic Club's juvenile facilities. So you're really supporting Ireland's future athletes. So don't even, if you're not even planning on running it, why not come down, support the charity, have a bit of crack at Cove on Sunday, April 3rd. But for now, sit back and relax and enjoy the Mick Clahassey episode of An Irishman Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme, what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Mick Clancy, it's fantastic to have you on The Irish Man Abroad. And I guess, you know, I probably wouldn't have thought to interview you had it not been for The Irish Man Running Abroad podcast and Sonia O'Sullivan. And she mentioned your name about coming down to the Cove 10 mile road race on April 3rd. And it just kind of sparked my interest. I was like, well, who is this Mick Clancy character? And... I guess you are one of the one of the kind of under the radar sports stars the country has. Do you do you like that position or would you would you prefer to be more in the public eye? Well, firstly, thanks for thanks for having me on, Charlotte, to the to the podcast. Delighted to come on. I suppose the nature of athletics and kind of I suppose road running would be my main kind of you know from the marathons and you know, road races and like the odd bit of track stuff, but it's not the, you know, it's not the in the mainstream media all the time, you know, certain events would get, you know, the Dublin Marathon, for example, or, you know, some of the championships, the the international competitions, you get a bit of publicity, but I've kind of gotten fairly well known through the, the likes of the marathon and stuff among the running community. And then obviously people who kind of just follow sport yeah. in general, but it wouldn't be the same as some of your, you know, your more, publicized sports that are you know in, in, the, still in the papers very niche. yeah it is so like but like i'm i have become quite well known but not in a you know it's kind of like in the community like some yeah like gaa players kind of that kind of you know you see lads around or whatever but it's not like i suppose the maybe some of the rugby players or 
as well as soccer and that as well. Um, but look, I haven't done anything internationally really to to warrant that kind of mainstream. Well, you, you know what I mean? You, I've done well, I've done well now. nationally. But, yeah. um, but you say that, right, Mick? But the story of you and your journey with sports uh, and life is very interesting and it isn't the traditional path. To me, it's a story that people can gravitate towards because it wasn't predestined. It wasn't Tiger Woods. The cl- it wasn't put in your hands at five years old and we're going to build ourselves a marathoner here. You only came to the sport in your mid-teens after kind of... I, did you fall out of love with football or did just football run its course? Yeah, it's, football was, as, as you're saying, there was, that was my main, you know, soccer, Gaelic football when I was growing up. When I was in secondary school, first, second year, I was convinced I was going to go to England and be a footballer even though you know just that was the, the chances dream. of that are, yeah that was the dream yeah but you know you start like, I was really into it like for a couple of years and then I, I started to get in do a bit of cross country in secondary school and it was it was true my father I probably I've told many people this before that he ran still runs he's in his late 60s he ran a lot of the the road races around there was some of the old business houses road races that were around the city and in the surrounding areas he would have done the marathon every year and i would have kind of seen him running and had this kind of respect for the you know for for, for the distance running and i wasn't really following it too much but then as i kind of got a bit older i did a bit of cross country in first and second year i think i was on the b team and in st paul's college you know i was had the football boots on and the long uh, soccer shorts while I was doing the cross country, and then uh, it was it was Dick Hooper, who's uh, well known in Irish athletics. He's won the Dublin Marathon three times, the first winner of it three three times in the Olympic Marathon as well. Himself and his brother Pat were the first two brothers, both ran in the Olympic Marathon in Moscow, nineteen eighty. And Pat passed away. I'd rest him there two years ago or last year. But Dick's influence then got me involved with Rohini Shamrocks. And I was still playing soccer up until I was 19 or so, but I was starting to get more into the running and I started to see that I could actually do do well at it. And I suppose, yeah, you're right, the football kind of ran its course and the more you got into the distance running, the harder it was to combine the two of them. See, this is really funny, Mick, let me, let me cut in here because, you, you know, you didn't see it. Like Dick saw it, Dick Hooper saw it, mm, saw the yeah. talent, but you hadn't joined the dots. So when you were playing football, were you faster than everybody on the pitch? What was it, do you remember, that Dick Hooper saw? And how did he articulate it to you in such a way that you were like, yeah, I'll give this a go? I definitely wasn't faster because, you know, football is stop start. You know, I'm not a sprinter in any way it means. It was more that I could just last longer, you know, right. I had the endurance. I was left midfield. I'd run up and down all day, kind of. And I suppose that's where I had that endurance base that was in there. And yeah, Dick, there was people in Rohini saying, I'll give up that old football, you know, at this stage. When are you giving it up? And I said, oh, look, I'll do it in my own time. And I think my dad was always very good. He said, just keep doing doing it for, you know, just do as you feel for now and let things happen naturally. And then when I made the choice, when I left school and gave the running the full full whack, you know, of attention, I felt, yeah, I could I'd do quite well. And I was doing well. Or on a cross cross country making Irish teams and um, yeah, so it kind of just let led on to that and but then I then I 
kind of lost a bit of love as well for running as I got into my 20s. And so this is a period, Mick, that gets mentioned quite a bit in relation to you. And it's definitely something that everyone can relate to because most Irish people, as a rite of passage, find a sport they love and then drift away from it in their 20s. And it's kind of a really sad reality for Irish people. Now, some people will put mm. it down to drinking and other people will put it down to just real life uh, getting in the way. Either way, yeah. it shouldn't happen. But here you are now as like the fastest Irish marathoner in the world today. And you you too had that period where it looked like you may never take this seriously again. Mm. What mm. But can you bring yourself back to the headspace of the man that went, you know what, I need a break here. I need to go traveling. Yeah. So like, yeah, well, I'm like in, in, in marathon terms at the moment, I'm, you know, I'm one of the fastest, so I'm not, I don't want to talk myself. <laughs> what, but, you know, there's, there is a few with that compliment. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I just don't want to yeah. be thinking that I'm, but going back to my early twenties, I was enjoying my run and making cross country teams, training hard. And look, I was like, a lot of people at that age, you know, things then you can get away with it in your early 20s I think for for a while around and Jack Kerouac the, the beat writer from the 50s in America was one of my kind of I suppose I really was big into reading him I think Bob Dylan and all these guys were influenced by him as well and not many people my age would have been reading these older generation books but that's what I liked and I was big into music as well in America the blues and all that kind of stuff and I had this urge just to go off on my own traveling and see see ob- obscure parts of America and just this, this thing of being on the move on Greyhound buses and stopping off in random places and and it was that's a different type of lifestyle to the the disciplined endurance runner training hard twice a day and stuff so I think I was a little bit burnt out from running not physically just mentally I just I just I think I just had that tendency that I wanted to do different things where other athletes had that real focus all the way through and they mightn't have them other interests that kind of take them outside uh, of the uh, athletics kind of sphere of mm. you know so looking back now I don't really regret missing the few years like I, I, the thing is I didn't stop running either I yeah was how many years running, was it like it was only two years or so so I think it's kind of it's not like I was out stopped the sport completely like I did the odd race here and then my performance has dropped off but a part of me I was quite young still and the thing with endurance running is you can build and build you know it's not like a sprinter or you know some of the team sports where your your career can peak quite young but endurance running especially the marathon you know you can keep going if you look after your body well into your 30s and you know you see some great athletes in their mid mid four in their 40s like even you look at Sinead uh, Diver in Australia mm. Sonia's good friend over there so I kind of knew I'd come back to running when the time was right but it was only a couple of years and then I just gradually started to get the hunger back and maybe I got some of that traveling around out of my system and you know there's only so much of that kind of you know life you can do as well but I, I look I was always fit and I was always doing a bit of running jumping in the odd race and all of a sudden I started to just get that hunger back and I, I think I made a Euro cross country team it was Belgrade where the world indoors are on at the moment it was the European cross country there in 2013 and that kind of 
kick-started me to get going again. And Can I ask you, Mick, because you mentioned the uh, Kerouac books and mm, mm. Uh, that kind of beatnik lifestyle. And, you know, you would be a very recognisable runner from the haircut because mm. so many runners just don't have, you know, the flowing <laughs> locks or the mane or the beard that you've had in the past. There is a certain amount of drug use and alcohol associated with that lifestyle. Did you mm-hmm. did you go down that path? Like was was that part of were you ever a smoker or anything during that period? No, not really too extreme. Like <laughs> you know, I look I would have enjoyed going out for a few drinks and you know, that was that was the height of it really. Like I wasn't I I didn't go down too far down that kind of road you know i just i enjoy socializing and you know i have done in the, in the past on and off um but i've kind of you know as you get older then you you grow out of that um well some people do some don't but yeah you know i've kind of learned especially with training especially when you get into your 30s and stuff if you're trying to run hard you can't do both i think i tried to do it for a good while it was it was kind of that old roy Keane and Man United work hard, play hard mentality of footballers in the in the early nineties and eighties and stuff. I used to think, oh, you know, you can you can try and do this and be a runner, but you can't for for too long. Okay, mm. catches up on you. But no, look, I never went down that kind of road. You know, I look, I enjoyed enjoyed myself and that kind of way, but uh, not nothing anything too too serious <laughs> yeah I mean it is uh, interesting though when we talk about athletes and Irish people veering off the mm. path of, of good health towards alcohol yeah. that mm. you didn't you didn't have that and in some ways is that part of the discipline like you mentioned that this was an ill-disciplined thing compared to what you were doing uh, you mm. you following this kind of free form traveling pattern was letting off the valve that like the commitment to being a world class athlete or even just a an elite athlete yeah kind of irons out any creases in your lifestyle that there isn't room for it even like you say with the two a days uh, doing two mm. two sessions a day it doesn't leave much room for planning no. much social stuff you said you didn't enjoy socializing. Do you consider yourself a a, a little bit antisocial or more of a, a loner than other people? Or is there another reason why your personality is more suited to this than other people? Well, no, I did. I did enjoy socializing. I think that was the, you know, the part of me that was different. You know, to some elite athletes who seem to be able to you know, take, put that all away and they don't need to, you know, socialize. But I, I've always had a tendency that I like to unwind and I do like being around people a lot. Like, I, I, that's what I love about my coaching now that I'm around people, you know, during the weekend we're, you know, having tea and coffee after our sessions. And, um, but I've, I've always had a tendency that I like to go out as well in the evenings or whatever. And, but I've had to obviously cut that out mostly because you can't keep training and especially have a young child you know two-year-old yeah. son at home and expecting another baby in the summer so you know it's not like you can't do everything all the time but I think for me as an athlete I've always been able to 
as I learned after them experiences, I've been able to balance switching off as well and not getting too caught up mm. in in the running side of things. Because when you're when you're training hard, you're fit. Uh, you can you can afford as well just to relax a bit and you know have a beer or two but it's it's trying to do it's trying to get the balance and it maybe it took me a good bit of time even though even when i was back running very well i might have been still not always 100 percent in my preparation with with that other side of life but i've learned you know as i've gone on and i think that's just part of the the learning process of um you know growing up to your 20s and 30s and as i think with some other athletes maybe especially in running, it can be a very, it's a very, you know, individual sport at times and it's, it's, it can be obsessive as, as well. Um, sometimes in good and bad ways, but I probably always tended to be open to, you know, switching off a bit more and, uh, it might've backfired on me a few times, but then I think it stood to me as well that I could, I could, um, you know, not be over consumed by running, which I think can happen because it's, that's the nature of the sport yeah. that you you know it's it's uh, if you know if you're training hundred miles a week and stuff and you know it can get it can get over over overbearing I suppose is is the and you want to keep bringing it back to why you're doing it and you know enjoying it as well even though if you're competing at a high level you know you're you're doing it because it's it's a you know it's, it's a nice lifestyle to have as well if you're not really working full time or whatever and I've set up my own coaching business so I've been able to make a great living from the sport so you have to respect that as well and not take it for granted at the same time so i'm new to the whole game right and this has been my journey is the last 18 months and i was one of those people that looked at lads like you out training putting in 100 miles a week <laughs> people will have spat out their coffee here in that number and i did think you're mad like i did i used to look at you guys and go what what went wrong in your relationship <laughs> that you would rather be out abusing yourself on the street in public in this manner rather than be at home watching Netflix? You say it's a compulsion and that it can be very uh, all consuming. Are you addicted? Like were at any point did you think I, I have a, an obsession here? No, I, I don't think. I have like people might see me around the area here, like in Clontarf where I am and you know, oh, there he is out running again and you know, does he ever stop running and stuff? But I hundred miles a I week don't though, Mick. Well no, I don't I don't always run a hundred miles. Now that's the odd time if I'm in a, a heavy marathon build up. I'd actually run slightly less than some of the other guys and I've been training with I've kind of just with injuries and stuff, I mm. have a balance. But I, I look I've run a hundred miles a week plenty of times, but not it's not every week, you know, it's it's um it, it varies up and down and i i race a lot as well i haven't in the last while with a few injuries but the races would kind of nearly make me ease back my training as well so i wouldn't be like i know from some of the older generation dick cooper who, who coaches me on and off through the years or well he's coached me all the way through really they trained savage amounts and they had you know their training was compared to some of the athletes today they were doing you know dick was be over 120 miles a week nearly every week kind of stuff and, and, and he wasn't in a pair of super shoes no and he's working nine to five and <laughs> um you know so it's it was, crazy there is that element there in in the spot but i don't think i i am i i switch off from running when i as much as i can really and like i love coaching now it's about what i do in my business and 
but it's a, it's a different type of running as well because it's not the the elite level stuff which a part of me just kind of like I, lo- I love being up at that level but I've been on training camps in the past and I've kind of had my fill of that kind of side of what do you mean the, the, I suppose the intensity of running kind of if you're in that environment all the time it can be just for me because I'm I like I'd have to explain it but I like to be go off and do something else and not be like lying around waiting for your next run and mm. you know and that it, seems it can be, to be so part of it isn't it the recovery is is everything it, it is stuff. but I think there can be an over I think if you go away and see now look Sonia mightn't agree with me on this either and I mean everyone has different ways of doing things and it's just probably my way but I've been before races and marathons and you're in the hotels and it's just everyone is so serious and you know it's 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 I'm not trying to <laughs> yeah, talk no, about I know I don't what you mean, like, where's the crack exactly exactly and you know it's a part of me would be yeah you have to get out of here get out of this hotel go somewhere else or you know yeah um and that's just just my way I'm not trying to no, no, I, I think that. And I think that's why some athletes, how they hear. get to where they are, yes. where they get to where they are is by being that way. By being zero um, in. But, but that's just not me. And that's what people probably, I mean, people who know me through my coaching or two would, would know that I, you know, like to switch off and I'm not there watching athletics all day long. And I actually don't really follow it that much. You know, I keep an interest in what's happening, but the fact that I'm coaching as well, which takes up a good bit of my time, you know, which is, it's great helping people, which I love to do. But when I'm not doing that, I don't want to be looking at, you know, reading, running books or reading, you know, I need, I need to switch off from it as well, which is, um, in going back to what you're saying, I, de- I don't think I have an obsession with it because a lot of times I don't want to go running either. Like I think, I think it can be an, if it's sad of, you know, I want to go out running every day. A lot of the time, like now I've been injured for, um, thankfully I'm over it now. But I was injured for the guts of a year while still training, and like I wasn't really enjoying my running because I was running through pain, kind of, so to speak. So a lot of my running was just a chore for a while there, and yeah. um, that's part of it as well. But I think the fact I wear the sunglasses as well, and people can you know can kind of hide the the expression on the face. But there's days where you just you don't want to go running. It's like anything, you know, you, you know, maybe in in your own line of work if you, you don't want to stand up in front of yeah. people someday oh, oh you know God, so. yeah there are nights when you don't want to tell jokes <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> but, but uh, you know again i think this is one of the reasons why people connect with your story mick is because mm. sonia admits the that yeah that times when she doesn't want to go for runs uh, yeah or there's times when she's out for runs and she's going what the hell am i doing here <laughs> and mm-hmm. we've talked about that but this is a hurdle that every newcomer to this and everyone who's attempted exercise will mm-hmm. have. Now, you you obviously have uh, more experience and more skill at getting over that hurdle again and again and again. Because if you didn't have that skill, there, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So is I'll ask you the same thing I asked to Katrina McKiernan. And she believed mm-hmm. that her gift from God was the ability to switch off, get in the zone mm. and ignore yeah. everything. Are you saying that you've had to train it, you've had to work at it and get better and acquire the skill yourself to be able to go, I know you don't want to go, but we're going. Yeah. No, I can I can understand where Katrina's coming from and I know Katrina was 
incredible athlete as, as well, like Sonia, where they could get so much out of them out of themselves and be up there at the, the like they were at the very top, you know. So I suppose I'd come back to it's gone back to that break I had, the small break in my twenties when I came back. I said, I just wanna I do have a, a gift of some sort that, that I, you know, need to make the most of. Yeah. And not kind of mess it up. So there's a part of me that always says, Look, you don't want to go train you know, you wake up and you're like, Oh, I have to go out and do ten miles now. But it just becomes autopilot where you know that you kinda of have to do it. Mm. Uh and There's it probably no does take years, you know, if, yeah. it takes a few years of, it's just what you do, you know, you get up and you do it and it's like someone going in, into work or whatever, you know, you just, you might want to do it, but you kind of know you're going to do it anyway. And you might be lying in bed saying, oh, geez, I'm so stiff. And especially when you're training harder and then you get out and you're, once you're out, you're out. Uh, and then you're always, that's a lot of people say when you're always feeling better when you've done the run on your back. And <laughs> yeah, I remember Shane Horgan saying that he believed that starting was the key and that his advice to yeah. people was just start. Uh, because exactly, once exactly. you get this, once you get going, whatever it is, that's it. It's done. It's begun now. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, there's always that feeling afterwards that you've, I've never had a really a problem training through the weather. I actually kind of like going out when the weather's, well, look, the wind sometimes can, suck the life out of you when you're trying to run hard but I always found there was a thing of when you're outside and there's no you know it's lashing rain and there's hardly anyone out I, I always loved them days training it kind of gives you what it is a sense of I think it's just being outside when there's not many people around as well it's, mm, uh, and it's in a nice nature. kind of exactly exactly yeah and like I'm in the city here but we've got some great places to run St. Anne's Park Dolly Mountain but I do love them days and there's nobody around and I suppose it's just you're you're by yourself running and yeah so like I, it, it's hard to explain but it's probably just an autopilot thing that I just do it even though I know that sometimes I don't want to do it but it just you always wind up getting it done you know mm. <laughs> how, how many of these lessons now that you're talking about not getting over obsessed the need to uh, release the valve to step away and understand the place of this thing in your life and even just that contact with nature that you're mentioning how much of this emanates from your experience in Rio and maybe the decisions that were made in the lead up there Rio yeah that was it another mixed mixed bag of an experience um so like the story that we understand to have taken place at Rio is that you were flying you were in like the form of your life and then this feckin blister arrives and uh, maybe you can pick up the story from there because I'd imagine when you discover that you have this blister that you think uh, we can patch that up or ah, that won't be a big deal. You never think this is going to get infected and no, no, precipitate no. a virus getting into my system. Yeah. So before Rio going back, I had, it was a very long build up and it was a few, like the qualification, there was three spots, obviously for the marathon, but there was maybe four of us that were in contention and, you know, nothing was ever guaranteed. So I had this plan that I had to keep racing to show my form and to say, look, I've been the most consistent and I managed to do that and got picked, but I probably had over overstepped it a bit in training now it's very fine line you don't realize you've done it at the time but there was one 
run in the Phoenix Park before we headed off to the, the holding camp in Brazil. It was a very warm day, I remember, and it was a, one of my last long runs. So it was about a month out from the marathon in uh, the Olympics. And I just bonked. I ran out of juice on the run and stopped. Now, it was a 26-mile run or something, which I don't do anymore. This was more in the early days of the marathon. I get my body kind of uh, mentally and physically adapted to being able to to last that long but I remember running out of juice towards the end of it and that was kind of a sign that all right it's something not not yeah, right that here shouldn't but happen. it shouldn't happen when you're going off in a month you know a month out you should be you know finishing strong and like I've, I've learned a lot from all this through the years and the different ways to approach marathon build-ups but this is I'd only ran a couple of marathons before this so I was yeah. still learning learning the ins and outs of it so went off to the holding camp in Brazil and, you know, I kept saying to myself, oh, I'll freshen up over here now. Uh, a good bit of time, you know, just relax, do, do a bit of running, nothing too hectic. But it was a different environment and the other guys on the marathon, uh, Kevin Seward and Paul Pollock, they were over there. So I was linking in with them for training. Now, whereas I probably should have backed off, they were coming from a different angle. One or I think they'd had injuries and they were trying to get their fitness still in the last few weeks mm. where I should have been totally scaling it back. But I kind of got sucked in and, and did a few sessions with them where I probably shouldn't have. And then, yeah, I knew I wasn't 100%, but then you're away and it's warm and you, you're kind of just saying, look, I kept saying in my head, I'll freshen up in the weeks before. But as you're saying, I got, the, got a blister about a week out in my foot. And then we traveled to the Olympic Village from the holding camp, which was in another part of Brazil, and got infected. I knew there was something not right with it, and that was a week out. And I thought, look, you know, you still think oh, I'll be fine by the the following Sunday. And I was thinking, oh, look, this is actually doing me a favor as well, because I'm resting up. I'm not able to run. So mm. the, the week before a marathon, the less you do, the better. So sometimes if you're forced into a rest, it can be a good thing. But I, I obviously the blister left me open to a some sort of virus or I lost my appetite, which isn't good a few days before a marathon. And then kind of came around the day or two before, but the damage had been done. But all I could do was go out and, you know, give it all I could, which first half in, in Rio, I was fine. I didn't feel too bad. But then after halfway, that was it. I was gone. I was just had nothing left, but I finished it out. But let's talk for a moment there, Mick, about mm. bonking and kind of hitting that wall, as yeah. they say. In the moment, what does that feel like? And does panic set in at all? Yeah, like that hasn't hasn't happened to me too much that on, on a training run. But this was just, I just totally, to explain it, but it was just energy was gone totally. And I had to stop. I was just slowing down. And this is up in the Phoenix Park and it's about 24 miles into the run and I was I was just empty, totally empty. And I remember kicking the water bottle or something that we had in my hand or something. And I knew I was, because uh, you need, the, the things with them runs for Meriton, they're confidence builders as well. And your long runs are kind of your real indicators hmm. of what shape you're in and how, you know, because they're the real test. You know, you can jump in your, your races as well, like your half marathons and stuff. But the long runs are really key. If they're not going great, you know, there's something not right. So, it was a bit of frustration, obviously, but you, you have to keep, especially when it was my first time going to the Olympics, you keep positive thinking that you'll be fine. You're always a party thinking, oh, I'll be fine in a few weeks, you know. I think that's the thing with overtraining is that balance. But 
there is when you go over that line, there can be a false sense that, oh, I'm going to get, I'll be back, I'll be grand in a couple of weeks, where sometimes you actually aren't. It can take you a lot longer to come back. Now, maybe I was just unlucky with the blister as well. But when you have something that's not right, other things tend to follow on. So, but yeah, like uh, looking back, even, you know, I learned a lot. I, I think I got the blister from just being too careless walking around the hotel. With oh, really? Actually, flip just walking around. And yeah. I, I, because I was wearing flip flops and it was warm and my feet were kind of sweating a bit. And it was just stuff that maybe I should have been a bit more, you know, careful about, you know, washing my feet more. Because I, I don't know how I got it, but something obviously got into my a cut or whatever it was. But, um, or I'm not really sure what, how it really happened, yeah. but you know. Well, I guess, like, I am fascinated by the wall and uh, this, mm-hmm. uh, like, I've talked to a few people about this and I think one person described, you, you know, what you went through in the in the marathon itself at the Rio Olympics as feeling mm. like um, quicksand is rising, uh, <laughs> that it surrounds you like clouds mm. more than an actual brick wall that you smash into. Uh, yeah, that's a good analogy. Right? Can you take us to that place? Because you know the eyes of the world are on you. You know that everyone back home is is going, there's mm. Mick, he's at the Olympics. I uh, mean, what's the internal monologue when you know that run that you did in the Phoenix Park? was exactly the bad omen that you you thought it might be yeah. but you didn't want to believe it was mm, so like when you're when you're in the race and that's happening then you're kind of in survival mode and you just want to get to the finish line i think a lot of stuff just you know you're not really too i knew there was everyone was watching back home but i think that's the thing with the marathon people realize that you're if you're not right you're not right and People just want to see that you get through it okay or that you're not injured or, you know, badly sick. So I didn't feel any major pressure really to, you know, I did want to finish. I just said, look, I have to finish this, Martin, because my dad and my uncle and cousins had traveled down to Rio and, and Dick Cooper, my coach, you know, so I was kind of, you know, I have to finish this marathon out. I wasn't just going to step off and say, oh, I was wrecked. So I said, I'll jog at home. And it wasn't, it wasn't much fun, but yeah, I can see you're mean the, the quicksand coming around you, but I wasn't in any way agony. I just had no no energy left. So I've been very lucky in marathons that I haven't hit. I haven't had any real marathon where I've totally hit the wall. Like mm. apart from that Rio one where I was, I was just not right going into it. But I've I've dropped out of one other marathon, Seville, and that was an Achilles calf strain that I just had to stop. But I lasted till twenty miles, and I probably should have stopped earlier because it knocked me out of action for a while. But um, I don't like dropping out of races, so sometimes there comes a point where you probably do have to if you're going to do more damage. Than, but I've been lucky. I've been lucky in, 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 in all my other marathons that I haven't gone into too much real kind of hit the wall pain or anything like that. Like I've looked the last few couple of miles, you're struggling a bit, if you know, which is part of it. But I haven't had too many bad experiences. 
Oh, there's an awful lot more here with Mick. I have to say the second half is pretty juicy stuff from Mick Clahasy. I want to say a big thanks to Mick for taking the time to do this. And a shout out to all of you who have tuned in now. Maybe this is your first Irishman Abroad episode. If you're an Athletics fan, we have a podcast for you every Tuesday with the legend Sonia O'Sullivan. It's called The Irishman Running Abroad. If you haven't heard of it, you should be listening to it. It comes out every Tuesday and we cover everything from training to shoes to nutrition to recovery and everything in between. It's a lot of fun and a bit like Mick Classy. Uh, it took me a while to arrive at running, but I'm delighted I've got there and that I will be there on April 3rd for uh, Sonia's big 10 mile road race in Cove. I hope you'll join us. Brian Connolly is on sound, still recovering from COVID, but powering through it manfully. He has been a war horse this week. I want to give a massive shout out to him, to Tina and Mike for making it all possible. And of course, to our supporters on Patreon. This is a supporter led podcast. It cannot continue without that support. If you want to become one, it only takes a couple of clicks. You head over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and you get the rest of my conversation with Mick Classy, access to our full back catalogue and you get the full episodes of Sonia on a Tuesday, Marion on a Friday and you even get episode notes with more tips from Sonia every Tuesday. Oh my God, has there ever been a better time to sign up? I don't think so. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. Come on over and hear the rest of this chat.